Hello, everyone. My name is Zoe Jordan, and I'm currently a law student at the University of California, Hastings in San Francisco. I graduated from Del Campo High School in California, where I was a member of the Decamian yearbook staff, and I served as the editor-in-chief from 2008 to 2009. So I think it's fair to say that I got to know the advisor of the Decamian pretty well, and that's because he's my father. Today's guest on the Yearbook Wise podcast is my own dad, Jim Jordan. So my time on yearbook did not begin when I got to high school, but I grew up in his classroom surrounded by his staff. And even though he's my dad, I think it's fair to say that many others have seen him as a father figure in their lives. So in 1996, when I was five years old, my dad, Mr. Jordan, was named JEA's yearbook advisor of the year. Now, even though he's retired from Del Campo, he hasn't slowed down one bit. Retirement for Mr. J means that he is now a special consultant with Walsworth, and he just launched his own podcast, Yearbook Chat with Jim. So take a little bit of time and listen to what my father has to share. Hey there, everyone. This is Mike Simmons of Tesserae Yearbook in upstate New York and Corning. I'm currently coming to you from Concourse C at Newark International Airport, where I'm waiting for my flight to Orlando for Camp Orlando. I was able to sit down last week with a, a good friend of mine who's been on the podcast before, Jim Jordan, retired advisor of Del Campo High School at the Decamian Yearbook. Jim retired in June of 2017, as you heard in the intro, after a 35-year career uh, in the classroom. Jim is a one-it-all, done-it-all, um, a, a real everyman of yearbook, and um, as you'll hear in the podcast, um, one of the advisors who was on the vanguard of the switch from uh, print-based or paper-based uh, publishing and paste-up uh, into the digital age in the uh, mid to late 80s. Uh, it was a fascinating conversation, and uh, as you'll hear us talk about, Jim has, uh, has pioneered his own podcast uh, along with Mike Taylor, both of them with the Walsworth Yearbooks Podcast Network. I'd highly encourage that listen, but uh, without too much further ado, here's my conversation with Jim Jordan, 1996's JEA Yearbook Advisor of the Year. Tell me a, a little bit uh, about your background, and, and I'm, I want to go way, way back. Where did you grow up? I grew up, well, I was born in San Rafael, California um, in 1955. And a cool story about that in the yearbook world is my father um, went to military school in San Rafael. His father died when he was young. And his aunt, his mother and his aunt sent him away to the school that was, you know, an hour away. And as it turns out, and I didn't find this out till I was well into it, my father was a yearbook photographer and editor for his high school yearbook back in the 1930s. And the really cool part of that is that the yearbook was published at Sunset Magazine, which is down in the South Bay, really famous okay. magazine least here in Northern California. And their big claim to fame was they um, had color photos. So color photos in the 1930s, pretty cool. So your, your book wow. kind of runs in my blood way back until then. 
But my father was a school administrator. We moved into the Central Valley for a little while. And then I spent most of my life in Auburn, California, which is like 35 miles north of Sacramento. Never did yearbook, um, never had any connection to journalism at all. But I, um, you know, played football and was a wrestler and ran track. And so I was very, very involved with high school. I loved high school in every way. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of that in a lot of us. Um, We loved it so much we never left. And, you know, I went to high school and taught high school for 40 years and still working with high school kids. And that's the best part of everything. So just a quick interjection. My, my dad was a uh, yearbook staff member his senior year. He did <laughs> tech and lighting and drama stuff, and but got Love involved it. on his way out the door. Um, where did you study at college and what did you study? Went to uh, California State University, Sacramento, affectionately called Sac State. Um, I, I lived at home. I was really involved with my local church and decided I didn't need to go away. Got into UCLA, but didn't go lived at home. I've never lived in a dorm in my life. And I had, I got an award when I was a senior in high school, um, a Bank America English award. So that was somebody telling me I was good at English. And then I went to junior college actually to start before I went to Sac State. And I met a professor that was just the most dynamic lover of literature and teacher of literature. And so it was like, okay, um, I I think I want to be an English teacher, which is ironic. My father being a a administrator when I was in high school, the very last thing I thought I would do would be a teacher. But uh, the the teacher's name was Elmo Daly, um, uh, a, a Jesuit teaching at a junior college uh, in Rockland, California. And he really got me excited about teaching and, and bringing literature at that point to the masses of high school kids. And just to look way ahead, even we'll, we'll catapult straight to today, you're still living in working from the Sacramento area, right? Yep, still living. I live in Fair Oaks, which is a suburb of Sacramento, and that's the town that Del Campo High School is in. And what what is it about the area that's never um, led you somewhere else? You, you've got to have a passion and a love for the place. What what keeps you there? Um, I, I that's a good question. It, it's just a great place to raise kids. Um, it's close to so much. You know, Tahoe's ninety minutes away. San Francisco's ninety minutes away. The the ocean's close. The wine country. Um, it's just a great place to raise a family. I think as much as anything else. Now, when you got clear of Sac State, um, did you go straight to teaching? Was that your first uh, professional job? I did. Um, I student taught at a school called Miraloma High School, and I got my first job there. Um, taught there, and I had a, a great year. It was the class of 1980. That's how I sort of judge everything. I know how old you are, depending upon how you relate to the class of 1980. That was my my first set of seniors, I was the young teacher. I started at 22 and by this time I was 24. And I taught, I taught the class of 1980 at Miraloma High School. I think I had two or three senior English classes. By the way, it's the only time I've ever taught senior English. And I was the young, cool teacher. Um, 
And it was fantastic. I, I loved every minute of it. But then the very next year in the fall of, of 1980, one of the people from the district office came to my classroom and said, oops, we miscalculated our enrollment numbers and we have to move you. You're a young teacher. You can't stay here at Mira Loma full time. And they gave me the choice. Should I, do I want to teach part time at Mira Loma and part time at my new school, Del Campo, or go full time Del Campo? Well, I was still hoping that perhaps someday I would could be full time again at Mira Loma. And I took half time at Del Campo, half time at Mira Loma. So I would teach four periods in the or teach three periods in the morning at Del Campo, get in my car, drive to the other school and teach two periods in the afternoon. And I wasn't smart enough at that time to demand or ask for a prep period for travel. So I worked a full day with traveling in the middle. And that's really the reason I got into yearbook. I taught uh, the next year I was, uh, Mira Loma went away. And so in 81, 82, I was full-time at Del Campo. And you just kind of start looking, how can I be sure that they're not going to move me again? I want to do something where I'll be invaluable to the school. And it was yearbook. Um, Del Campo had a, had a really had a rich yearbook tradition. It was always taught by uh, a strong, popular, honors level English teacher. So it was always something that the best kids did. And then the department chair let it go. Two years, it was taught by another guy. Yeah, he actually was a French teacher. He didn't do as much with it. And he was ready to give it up. And so in the in the 1982-83 year, they were looking for a new yearbook advisor. And I volunteered. I mean, I got excited about it. I jumped at the chance. I kind of sensed that that thing of it's, a writing class. It's it's something where we're going to write a lot. That's good. I always loved photography. I've been a you know had my own camera and sh loved shooting photos all through the seventies and eighties. And then the design stuff really intrigued me because there was a, a point in my life I thought I wanted to be an architect. When I was in high school, that's where I spent a lot of my extra time. Um, we had a, I had a mechanical drawing class and two different architectural drawing classes, and I loved the precision of drawing blueprints and making things look perfectly, printing well, and so that was sort of the design piece, and it, it, it could all come together in, in yearbook. So that 1982-83 year was my first. Uh, book and my first year as yearbook advisor. And you volunteered up and into that. Can you give us a, a snapshot of what uh, the Decamian staff looked like at, at that point in time with that 83 book? Uh, how many kids? And, and for those of us who, I mean, you know that I, I started advising in 2001, so I've been <laughs> all digital all the way through. Um, so just a, a brief snapshot of what life in a yearbook lab was like in, in 82, 83. Yeah, it it was it was terrific. I had a bunch of wonderful students. I had two editors um, who had had a lot of experience, and I really leaned on them to show me what to do. 
and um, Andy Miller and Tammy Williamson. And uh, she goes by Tamara now, but um, she is a uh, the student government advisor at Granite Bay High School, which is near us. And so she's been kind of doing the same kind of things she did as a yearbook editor um, for her whole career. And I really leaned on them. And, and this has been fun. Uh, I know you know that I'm um, also doing a podcast. And so I've spent a lot of time interviewing first year advisors. And that really brought me right. back to my first year experience. And it's really universal what a first year advisor goes through. You, you have to go with the previous years, uh, the previous year's editors and the way that they did things. You have to make some concessions to, to how they know your book because they, in some ways, they know more than you. And you have right, to, at the right. same time, win them over to your way of doing things. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect, a little bit of awkwardness as you take them out of how they used to do it and bring them into how you want to do it. But it's this marvelous thing that happens. It's rocky. It's tough. You might not always get along in, in the fall, but then somehow in the middle of the work, as you turn into that new year, they all of a sudden become your people, your kids, and they start to understand why you do things the way that you do. And this amazing bonding happens that you couldn't have imagined when you first started. So that's some big advice that I give a new advisor is you just kind of have to make some concessions and go with the flow and and lead them through that process till they begin to become your kids and then in year two they really are your kids and it's a whole different um operation when you really are the advisor and you're really leading and one thing i have to tell the story because it's kind of funny um wonderful thing of facebook you know we're still i'm still in touch with probably 15 kids that were on that first yearbook staff Wow. And I remember very vividly my first deadline. This was like late September or early October. And it was like everybody was saying, all the people that I'd met so far that were advising me about being an advisor, you've got to set your standards high early, particularly on that first deadline. You have to let them know that you mean business and they've got to make their deadline and it's really important and whatever it takes, you have to hold the line and, you know, don't give them any grace. You have to make sure they make it. Well, I still remember this. It was one girl. Um, it was her birthday and Becky Irvine was her name and it was her birthday and she had two layouts to finish. And literally, it was like her mother came into the yearbook room. They were trying to go out to dinner as a family. And I would not let her go. She had to finish <laughs> that layout. And finish it, she did. And I had to, like, I had to, like um, apologize over, over Facebook that I scar you for life by doing that. And she said, no, it was, it was okay. But, but that you have to set your your standards for yourself but you can show a little bit more grace i think than i did so it's it's fun that we can laugh about that um almost gosh close to 40 years ago 
with the 83 book, uh, do you remember the theme of that 83, your first? Yeah, it was, it was Del Campo Live. And we were, it was a play on, obviously, on Saturday Night Live. And we had really cool block letters on the cover, and we had people in the live letters, and um, it, was, it was pretty fun. And the writing, as I look back on it, you know, page after page of general writing with no quotes. I'm not sure whether, where we really, where I would say we really made the jump to being more diligent journalists, but um, it was okay. I mean, I was, it was, it was fun, and I, I remember the kids more than I remember the process of of putting it together. Um, right. But in those days, there were there were a lot of kids that uh, wanted to be on staff, and I only had one period, so it was really highly um, contested who would get on the staff and who wouldn't. So you had a lot of people to pick from, a lot of good people to pick from. Very few of us are lucky enough to live only in the yearbook universe. So <laughs> what were some of your other early responsibilities at Del Campo uh, oh. via the English department? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, what I would say, if you're going to ask me at my core who I am, I would tell you I'm a writing teacher first. I want to, I have always wanted to help kids become better writers. So I always taught, well, in those days, we're, we, we are now on a four by four block, but in those days we had six periods. And so I taught, I always taught four periods of English. And then I usually would have after lunch, fifth period. Well, actually, I would have a yearbook after lunch. And then sixth period was my prep where the editors would be. So, I mean, I've taught all levels of English, but primarily I became the junior honors teacher at Del Campo, which then about eight years ago, morphed into the AP language and composition teacher. So that was my key to getting the best kids is I would find them in my junior honors class or my AP Lang class, and I would recruit them from that class into yearbook. So I didn't really have like a huge juggernaut program where I taught J1 and beginning photo, and then they were there for all four years. I, I really was an English teacher who was always grabbing the best kids to fill the gaps that we needed to fill. And if I was lucky, I picked up five or six sophomores, and they stayed with me the whole time. But the real success of the program was bringing in brand new, smart talented, driven seniors who learned quickly and picked up the, the yearbook work and did an amazing, amazing book. And, and that's one thing I, I really want to say to advisors out there that are listening. You really, every, every school, every yearbook classroom is its own microcosm. And you have to figure out what works best for you and your life and the kids that you have and the way that your school culture works. What, what Mike Simmons can do, I could never do at my school. What, you know, Renee Burke did in Florida, I couldn't do that. But I could take 
what I could and make my situation be the best in the situation that I found myself. You, 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 you can't expect yourself to do these amazing things that you see everybody doing everywhere. Um, or you'll feel guilty all the time that you're not doing them all. So, I mean, give yourself some grace and make what works for you work and be, and be happy that it's working. Keeping up with the Joneses in the yearbook universe can be really, really fraught. You, you, you cannot, you cannot do that because what I, what I tend to, and I'm, I'm that way. If somebody is doing this, I want to try it. If somebody's using right. Trello, I've got to try Trello. Um, and you may not have the time or the interest. And, and so you just have to make, you have to be satisfied with making your program the best it can be for you and your kids. And I can't say that strongly enough. Right. So let me ask you, uh, when we were talking about improvements and, and keeping up with the Joneses or with colleagues, um, it can be like death by a thousand improvements. You, it can be utterly overwhelming, especially for newer advisors saying, well, I have to take better. My kids have to take better photos. We have to write better captions. We have to sell more books. We have to write more journalistically. We have to include our theme more. And, and then we see advisors burning out in just a year or two. So as you reflect back on your career, starting with the, 90, uh, with the 83 Decamian, in what ways did you make some intentional choices or, or did you struggle maybe at first um, in making incremental gains and improvements in your program? What did that look like for you? Yeah, I, I did struggle. And I guess I'll say it this way. Um, I always tell new advisors to set goals for themselves. And I got, I got that early. I mean, I wanted to do a book like Bruce Watterson's. I wanted to do a book like H.L. Hall's. I wanted to do a book like John Cutsinger's. All those great people that I came in contact with early in my career. And so I kind of got laser focused on, I want to have an award-winning book. I want it to be amazing. And in some ways that was not a wise approach at the beginning because probably in the first years, I was more focused on that than on enjoying my kids, my high school, my, my staff members, on being sure they were having a good time and, and really savoring the process. I, th I think in the later years, I was better at stepping back and enjoying the ride a little bit more, being more focused on the process and not the product. Um, and so I, I think I think I made some not great choices. I mean, we had some great books, but but there were other things that that drove drove me moving forward in those early days. But but I think I wanted I just I'm the kind of guy I'm comp I'm competitive. If there's a contest, I want my book to be the best. If there's an award for my students, I want them to win it. Um, and so I think that drove me perhaps a little bit too much early on. Now, you and I grew up in, in different generations of, of yearbook advising, and we're both active right now, you with your mentoring program and both of us with this, these podcast projects and in other ways. Yeah. Um, we're, we're big on this idea of the shared yearbook universe and the network. Um, who was instrumental or, or core to your network back in those earlier days? Who were some of the mentors and to whom did you turn for advice? Yeah, this is so key and at the core of why I'm even sitting here still doing yearbook today. Um, 
my my student government was really wise in those days. They allotted money to send the yearbook advisor and the two yearbook editors to camp. It was paid for actually by student government. That was kind of crazy. So right off, right off the bat, I got to go to summer camp at Stanford University in the summer of 1982. And there it was called yearbook newspaper by the bay and there's still a version of it going on now i think but um the the two advisors one was from lodi his name was jack and the and he had run it for years and then the other man don powell was lo was local from woodland high school and those two guys were my earliest mentors and and what i got from don powell this is one of my things that's made me successful he taught me early on that you need to run a program that's financially healthy. You need mm -hmm. to Absolutely. make money, you need to have money, and you need to be able to spend money on technology, on photo, and also on traveling to conventions. So that whole piece of you got to have money came from Don Powell and it served me well. I was in the black for all 35 years. I've gone to hundreds of conventions and had great equipment. But that, that, those two people got me started. But then year two, um, we were at Berkeley that year. I moved from Stanford to Berkeley. And my aha moment that really made all the difference is they had the library. And you know, all yearbook camps have them. They bring all sorts of yearbooks. And I was rummaging around in a box. And I can still remember it like it was yesterday. I pulled out this book. And it was the Wildcat from north of Little Rock High School, Bruce Watterson's book. Didn't know Bruce, didn't know Bruce Watterson from anybody at that time. And I started flipping through this book and it was like, oh my goodness, I get what a yearbook can be. What I'd done in my first year was not this at all. This had amazing graphics, the writing was cool, great photography. And that started me on the path to, to knowing what a deeper uh, journalistic kind of yearbook could be. And then the next year in the 83, 84 camp cycle, that camp was went back to Stanford. And guess who was one of the instructors? Bruce Watterson. And <laughs> also at that camp was H.L. Hall. And also at that camp was Tom Rolnicki who was then the head of NSPA. So I had these three giants of yearbook in my third season of, year, of, of advising that became my friends and my mentors. And they're all my friends and mentors to this day. And these were quality people who loved kids, loved the yearbook form, and they showed an interest in, you know, little old me, um, and to this day, I want to be like them. Um, I'm still trying, I mean, I'm still trying to be Bruce Watterson, I think in, in a lot of, a lot of ways in my life, but, but they took an interest in me and, and encouraged me. And here I am. When you look back, which was the first Decamian that you felt really made a, a mark or an impact? And it, and it could have been an award winner, perhaps, but maybe it's one that had a big impact at Del Campo. But what's the book after 83 that, that maybe first stood out to you? Yeah, I, I always tell the story and I love the story. 
the, the big the big change book was 8586 the last um it was called tradition with a dash of the unexpected and we were really trying to do some amazing things it was our first crack at using press type to do cool graphic headlines it was our first um, book with infographics in it and the guy that designed all the infographics he like has been this inventor for hp and he designed this kind of h uh, 3d scanner thing that's uh, uh, that's amazing but it, it it was just our really big attempt at at trying to cover things in an amazing way, bring in graphics. And what happened with that one in those days, when you sent your book into NSPA or CSPA, um, it, it was a little bit tighter about who looked at it and who made judgments about who was going to win the awards. This book, that 85, 86 book, we sent it into CSPA and NSPA. And I had never met Colonel Savage before, and he was sort of the guru of CSPA, who was had a big part of the of the selection of the crowns. And there are a lot of people, and, and you know this from the, I mean, he's like the legend of legends. And I would say, you know, the the really old yearbook people knew him and studied under him, and the newer ones never met him. And I was privileged right. to know him, but. For that, we sent it in. I'd never met him. I'd never, you know, curried his favor, as many have. And he picked that 86 book out of the pile. It wasn't because I knew him. It wasn't because I'd been to his workshops. He just picked it out because it was a great book. And that was our very first gold crown. And wow. so I still hold that really dear. Um and and those kids, I'm back in. I mean, I'm back in touch with all of the editors again. Um, one of them is a graphic artist in San Francisco. Another one's a high school teacher in Utah. The other one works for HP. The other one lives up out of Auburn that I've been in touch with, and I and she actually was my student at Del Campo later on. Um, but our uh, she was at, at uh, the junior high that I'd worked at before, and. And so that was the one that there was there were no expectations that it was going to be amazing. We just did this incredible work and it was recognized and it was the last non-digital book. So now we're on the doorstep of it. You're in the <laughs> mid 80s, you're going into your 86, 87 book. You're I got to I've got a guess and I know a number of you California advisors uh, there's got to be a connection to having Silicon Valley near in your backyards, right? As it goes to technology. Well, that that story is first of all, I had started. Everybody that it was an advisor was beginning to talk about how are we going to really move our production of yearbook onto computers. The 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 computer king at that time was the Apple IIe back in the early '80s. Um, we had a lab at my school of Radio Shack TRS-80s, and my That's first foray. 
<laughs> my my first foray into computers where I started to love computers is there was a kid in our district who invented a grading program, the five and a half inch floppy disks. And I started doing my grades after hours in the computer lab using this grade program. And so, oh, I, I can do this computer stuff. People were still using Comtran, which was like this big system where you could set type. It was kind of a computer, but it was big and bulky and didn't have much flexibility. And then you start hearing about the Macintosh. And here it comes. You know, the, <laughs> the, the, dun, 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 yeah, the famous 1984 Super Bowl commercial. Absolutely. All of us are thinking about it. And then this goes back to Bruce and HL. In the summer of 1985, they were talking at camp. I can remember the little nook where they were, where they were saying, we are gonna, we're going to make the leap. We're going to try this new Macintosh next year in the 85-86 year. And I do believe, and I'm sure there were some other ones around that were on the, the bandwagon, but, but Bruce Watterson and H.L. Hall were those first pioneers of, of digital yearbooks in 85, 86. Bruce. Now let's be clear though, too. Let me, let me ask real quickly. What, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. What were they used for? Because I, I have these pictures of, you know, you're using like, you know, page maker one or something like that, but this oh, yeah. was still way before that. This is just, no, 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 was this no. just for text or? No, no, the, the, it was still, it was page maker one back then, but anyway, it was. They, okay. they did it. In 80, they did it in 85, 86. Okay. So, so then, they had done it and their books were super cool. And this is, this is crazy, but I still, I got them from him and I'll tell you a little bit about how, but I have paste up boards from Bruce's first digital yearbook and I can show you what that looked like putting it together. But, but anyway, um, so I knew it could be done that, that spring 1986, I went to a seminar put on by John McQuaid, who does, um, he's a, a before and after magazine. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. But yeah, absolutely. He's a phenomenal designer. Yeah, he's the guy that I saw first show a Macintosh and show how they paginated eight and a half by 11 pages into a newsletter. And I knew, oh, this is it. Because the big breakthrough was PostScript and the LaserWriter 2 printer. So once okay. that once you had PostScript, you had the ability to have non seventy two DPI type, and so so you could paste up what came out of that printer. But anyway, so so we bought our first suite of computers. Apple had an educational bundle. You got two Mac Pluses, no hard drives. You got a LaserWriter two printer. You got Microsoft Word and PageMaker 1.1 for $9,500. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, then that's, that's for sure. And so we got these machines and this was, and I bought them. And then, then this is what I did. I needed support from my yearbook company. And actually at that time, I was considering leaving Walsworth, who was my company at the time, and and connecting with a, um, a company that wanted to really support this new revolution uh, of desktop publishing. I mean, it's hard to even imagine now 
that world. But I went to Wallsworth and I said, do you guys want to get on board with this? And they said, absolutely. So what I had them do, they flew me to Bruce Watterson's classroom in Little Rock, North Little Rock, Arkansas, spent a couple days with him. I was in his classroom. I saw what it was like, how he did his production. And literally, he had a Mac Plus on a cart that he wheeled out of a back room. And they did all the work on that connected to the laser rider printer. And I thought, my eyes got big and I thought, whoa, we can do this. This is not right. out of our range. And so we did. And, and then the other cool part was at that meeting, one of the vice presidents of Wallsworth, Joe Cup, and a, the guy that was the plant manager, Bill Kalpas, who now, or he's recently retired, but he worked for LifeTouch for a long time. We sat at a table in the back of Bruce Watterson's classroom and we visioned what was going to happen with desktop publishing and the yearbook industry in the next 20 years, that it would not take very long till every book was on desktop publishing. And then we, could, we couldn't even vision the internet then. But now uh, so many books are using the online programs to do their books. So I'm just amazed to have been a part. I mean, we were pioneers of this new technology. And I always tell this story, and I think I probably even told it last time we were together. Um, Bill Gates, uh, uh, Steve Jobs, I think was born in April of 1955. Bill Gates was born in October of 1955. And I was born in September of 1955. So we were all in this creative time where they yeah. created it and I taught people how to use it. And right, I'm, right. I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> and arguably created new uses for it. That, that's incredible. And it's an incredible story. When did, so this was for page creation and, and copy layup and, and the rest. When did uh, your crew get involved in digital photography? Yeah, that, well, let, let me back up a little bit. And I, cause I kind of have sure. this broken down into segments from that 86, 87 year, through 1992, we did paste up. You kind of asked the question before. When yeah, we did the our process. First, when we did our first production in 1986-87, all we could do from October to December was, because it was all paste up. It wasn't paginated in any way. We pasted up columns of text in Microsoft Word and then pasted them on boards if you can imagine that. We didn't really start learning how to do pagination in PageMaker till December. And that first year we did, and Walsworth was so good about this, they did, we did not hand in a single page until January. And again, wow. all paced up. And that year, this was, this was nuts. This was the nuts time. That, that winter break, we took off all Sundays. I never work on Sundays. But we worked every other day of, of break. We took Christmas off too and Christmas Eve, but we worked a couple hours on New Year's Eve and we didn't work on New Year's Day. But every waking moment of that vacation was trying to figure out how to put this stuff together on these boards and make this, the, the software work. We got, a, we got a 20 megabyte hard drive in December and we all went through that how could you ever fill 20 megabytes 
There's no way. It's, it's just too big. <laughs> and so that was that was that journey. And those kids, I mean, those kids that did that 86, 87 book, the first desktop publishing book, those were pioneers. And the kids on that staff that are renowned scientists and PhDs and bankers and lawyers and doctors, it's amazing. They blazed the trail um, for hundreds of thousands of kids to follow. So, so your point, so this went on until 1982, 1992, the 92 book, we did paste up all the way until 1992. Then we finally, and it was about a year too late um, that we made the move to online pagination, putting everything together. People had been doing it before then, but it was our, 92 93 book that was fully online paginated we weren't pasting up anymore then digital photography came in for us about 1997 and someone just posted you know a, a commercial online about the mavica the sony mavica i don't remember if we had one yep. of those but we had one of those you know tiny tiny resolution cameras and i think it was the 97 book could have been the 96 where we actually had a couple of digital photos. Um, but then we kept adding more and more dark room probably was totally gone by 2001, 2002, something around there. I still had a couple of kids that wanted to do um, dark room stuff and our dark room stuff was crazy. Back in the day, we had this little room attached to the yearbook room, but no running water. So we used to have to take trays and buckets of water in there to do the fixing and stuff. And then I think in 1986, we finally got running water. And then we kept, we, I mean, imagine those days when every black and white photo was chemical processed in the yearbook room. Woo! And what a difference, uh, what a difference it made to have the digital photography. Then cameras kept getting better, the lenses improved, and then away we go into full digital photography by the mid 2000s. That's, that's an incredible story. You and I met in uh, 2007 at the yeah. Gettysburg yearbook experience right. and, um, and quickly became dear friends. We've known each other a decade now. And um, I finally had the pleasure of meeting one of your daughters at CSPA. Um, just was it, was it yeah. two, two years ago or just this yeah. past um, yep. But tell me and, and tell the listeners a little bit about um, your family and your yes. kids. And, and do I have it right that all three were members of the staff at one point? Oh, my goodness. Yes. When I started, I don't know where I got this idea, but I thought it would be kind of cool to hang around and do the 25th anniversary book. The 25th anniversary book was was a year six. And I did that. and It was awesome. And it was all digital and it was super fun. But then as I started keeping doing this, I began to really understand what a tremendous learning experience it was for all the kids involved. And that, man, I want my own kids to have this experience because it's so, so great. And then um, my model, my role, my total role model was H.L. Hall. I always used to hear H.L. Hall so lovingly 
and and warmly talk about his children being editors of his staff at Kirkwood. And so then that became another one of my goals. I wanted all my children to have the yearbook experience and understand uh, my oldest, Kate, who's almost 32. She was born in the summer of 1986 before we launched on our desktop publishing journey. So all my kids, just like your kids, have, you know, her playpen was in the dark room on Saturdays and they would all come to dinner on Wednesday nights when they were growing up. And I literally couldn't wait for them to be a part of the staff. And I never had that, you know, some teachers send their kids to other schools. I couldn't wait to have them in my classes and all of them, all of them, I'm proud to say were on yearbook. All of them were editors and they were amazing. And I, I cherish that. Now, I think I stunted my daughter's dating life a lot because <laughs> all the guys were afraid. Of but um, but it, it was fantastic. And I, I cherish every moment that they were on staff and they had crazy things to overcome, you know, as editors. My my old my youngest my last uh, child Zoe is still probably one of the best leaders I've ever had and now she's in law school doing amazing you know, like you'd expect and Kate another great leader she's a nurse um, makes a lot more money than I ever did uh, mm-hmm. and Robert is you know that typical orange photographer lover of life and. He was living in San Francisco and now he's back trying to learn a trade and get himself um, doing something that he loves. So I, I can't say it enough what a joy it was to have them on staff. And it really was a huge part. I think it was eight years. There was a Jordan kid on yearbook. All their friends went to the conventions. You know, it was just a rich, rich time. And I know you're looking forward to that down the road. Um, and I'd say that to all advisors, don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Um, you won't be disappointed. What you, you talked about product and, and how you shifted your focus uh, yeah. over the course of your career from product to process. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, maybe it's I'm just going for the alliteration, but I've <laughs> known you from the day that I first met you. I know that it's if it's about process, it's also about people, and and that's yes. you know emblematic of your kids being a part of your staff and these long held relationships and cherished relationships with editors. I'm sure you could rattle off editors from all 35 years if I asked yep. you to. Yep. Um, what I feel like it's a blindingly obvious question, and maybe <laughs> and maybe I can't get it out the right way. But but what is it about all of that that you want other advisors to know? Because I, I feel like. And you and I have both experienced probably some pretty low moments in the lab or disappointing <laughs> moments in the lab, yeah, right, um, right. be it something that was production based or, you know, I, I think you remember back at our first year at Tesserae, we lost our server for six weeks, oh, um, yeah. you know, kids uh, missing a deadline or personalities. But in all of that, what is it about the relationships that you formed with your kids that, that was most meaningful or that you want other advisors to understand that might might have sustained you through those low moments? I guess what I would say, um, kind of as a uh, an overarching, you know, banner that should be up in your yearbook room or at least in your mind, is is that it's people over product, and really even people over 
process um, as educators and, and as when you're in the like, when you're 35 and going full speed, you know, you don't really think about the deeper implications of you as an educator. But now that I'm a little bit older, I reflect on that a little bit more. And what we're really trying to do, it's not about teaching English. It's not about making a yearbook. It's about, I'm going to get choked up here. It's about making better human beings that are, that are better equipped to be successful in whatever they do in life. And so I, I think I've realized that I, I, I've seen as time got, has gone on, I've seen the end of the road more clearly and understood the, the ups and downs of the process and realize you're going to get this at the end and it's going to make a huge difference. And because of that, and this is, oh, this is so hard. I mean, I think, I think I was a teenager a member of the staff on way too many of my books. It was like I was down in the trenches fighting it out with them. And, you know, my feelings were hurt and their feelings were hurt. And blah, blah, blah. and and you kind of have to rise above that to see the bigger picture, the bigger people picture of the book and realize it's all going to come together in the end and it's going to be beautiful and don't sweat the small stuff along the way. And certainly don't get down in the trenches and, and fight it out with them. Um, but, but then again, I think that's what keeps us real and, and connected too, is that there is a little bit of high school student in all of us um, that makes us fun and relevant. So I, I guess I would say, think just always remember it's about those kids. It's about the relationship. It's about the growth they're going to get over this whole year. And the book's going to come together. If you treat each other well and you know what you're doing and you lead them through that process, the book's going to be amazing. And every one of those kids is going to be a, a better person for it. And I guess I would say this too, along that same line where I made a mistake is I think I always focused way too much on my editors and I didn't bring along the, the, the last man on staff as and woman on staff as I should have. And so I would, I would encourage advisors to really reach out and make all 30 kids feel as important as you do the editors. And I think I tried to do that, but, but I know I could have been better at that to really value everybody's contribution in the process. Yeah. I, Yep. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not speechless. I'm just really, uh, you know, I, I can think of back, I, I've been doing this eight, I'm going into my 18th year advising and, yeah. and you know, uh, because you've met my kids and worked with them that, that I feel um, very strong connections with them. And, and I work, yeah. there's a, there's a nuanced um, and I, and I got it from what you were saying. There's a nuanced difference between, being down at their level and fighting in it or fighting about it with them versus as, as should be preferred being down in the weeds with them, helping show them the way or doing it with them. I mean, there's, there's a difference in there and it's a, it's a mighty important one. Um, I remember those weekends when I was so hurt that they missed a deadline or they said something mean to me. And finally I got to the point where I could compartmentalize and let that go. I mean, I yeah. cared about yeah. everything that happened in that room. Yeah, I'm still working on that part, the compartmentalization, <laughs> and I don't have a, uh, I don't have a, 
a qualm about sharing that openly to yep. you and to, to everybody listening. Um, so fast forward. Well, let's let's park for for one second on um, 1996. Um, and I, you'll have to. I'll, I'll defer to you. You know, and it was partly at your suggestion that that I'm even doing this uh, this series of of speaking yeah, with former right. yearbook advisors of the year, and it's getting a, a huge response. So thank you for being a part of it and for being part of the genesis. But yes. um, the the awards were first granted in '95, um, yeah. and HL, whose name you've invoked a number of times, um, was the first winner, and it's now for him that the award is named. Um, you were recognized in '96 along with Kathy Daly, Susan Massey, Ann Horner, and Carol Neal. And I'm wondering, I haven't asked the other um, honorees about this at all, but do you remember? Um, much about about that moment in time, and was that year an inflection point for you at all? And I was wondering if you might speak briefly to the to the other honorees, to Kathy, Susan, Ann, and, and Carol at all. Oh yeah, they were what an amazing group to be with, and it's just an unbelievable honor to be have been selected from that group. You know, from that group of people who also applied. I, I think my my strength in those days was the pioneer role I took in desktop publishing. I think that was probably what made me stand above or whatever and why I got, why I got that award. I, I'm a, I'm an okay regular advisor, but I was a pioneer in desktop publishing, but um, who I really want to single out at this point that I haven't mentioned her name yet. Um, my, you know, the godmother of my yearbook success is certainly Ann Akers. Um, we met at that yearbook newspaper by the Bay probably in 1987, 88, somewhere around in there. And we've been closest of friends. And I would say she is the most knowledgeable person about yearbook and the yearbook form and yearbook history of anybody in the yearbook world. And we became friends. And even though she worked for other companies at different times, um, she has worked with my kids and inspired me. And, and she was one of the ones that helped me prepare my application for yearbook advisor of the year. Um, and a lot of that goes to her drive and her um, participation in it. She's a one of a kind lady. And very, very humble, very back. She's not looking for, you know, recognition herself, but I kind of wish she would get her PhD and write the history of your book because she really does know it um, better than anyone. And, and again, uh, I owe much, much, much of my success to her. And you and I are all about building out the network um, and we've got a rich tapestry of friends. Um, it's important to note um, rather pointedly that that you and I, you before you retired and, and still now in the new capacity, you're working with Walsworth. You know, I'm a dyed in the wool Herf Jones guy. Yep. And yet your book brought us together. And, and right. I want especially for new advisors to listen or who are listening to understand that while your rep needs to be one of your greatest allies and and certainly your company will uh in, in all likelihood put you in touch with uh other advisors from the same company that uh, there's possibilities for friendships from all corners of the map and and you want to explore and open yourselves to those 
Yeah, I strongly recommend, I, I gave this little talk about 12 things to remember for new advisors. And one of my really early ones is find your tribe, find people in this business that you connect with. And it's best if they're from different companies. I mean, I literally yeah, have absolutely. great friends from all the different yearbook companies. And that just does, as you said, it makes your tapestry you know, more beautiful and your story more rich as you learn from these incredible people. And that, that really is what it is, is in our building, we are always faced, unless we're really lucky, of working in a situation where there are a number of people who don't like what they do. There are a number of people who maybe don't work as hard as we do. And then all of a sudden you find these people in your tribe of journalism advisors that totally get what you do. They totally honor your life choices and the work that you do. And you can't help but become lifelong friends with people like that. And then as you, yeah. you grow together and you learn new things, um, just, you know, for example, we met at a workshop at uh, Gettysburg yearbook, yearbook Experience, you know, may it rest in peace. I'm so sad it doesn't exist <laughs> anymore. Um, yeah. But I saw you grow. I saw your hunger. I saw your desire to be better. And hopefully me and a bunch of other people came alongside and nurtured that. And then now yep. we do it for other people because we want them as great educators to get out of being a yearbook advisor as much as we have gotten out of it. So right, right. Uh, that idea of getting your group together and being able to share um, our passion for educating kids, it's just priceless. And, and that's a beautiful segue um, as you kind of uh, reach this second chapter or next chapter of, of what you're doing professionally, you decided to leave the classroom in June of 17. Correct. Um, so you're, you're coming up on your second back to school without going back to school. <laughs> yes. And um, in, in the last year, you've kept yourself busy, but things have kind of kind of clarified and, and, and um, formalized, um, at least I'd say since the, the spring and having you at the conventions and, and working out of the Walsworth booth. Um, where you worked with advisors coming by. Um, I'd like you to tell the listeners a little bit about the, the mentoring program. Um, and certainly if they are Walsworth advisors, it's something that I would want to encourage them to avail themselves of. Um, and then also you are two weeks into, uh, into joining me in the podcast space. And, and I'd love for you to talk about your book chat with Jim. So go ahead with the mentorship yeah. program. Well, this is going to be our third year of of the Walsworth Advisor Mentor Program. The first year I was involved with it while I was still teaching and I wrote a few blog posts and connected with the people that were involved. And and the, the issue is in Walsworth, and I'm sure the numbers are equally as high, um, every year there is somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand first year advisors. And hmm. what- That's Walsworth, an incredible number. It's an incredible number, yeah. And what Walsworth took on as one of their marketing focuses, which was very attractive to me, they wanted to be the company for new advisors. So it has been their goal and now my goal to support new advisors in whatever way that we can. And so year two, I, I, I'm technically like the ambassador for the program. I'm helping it move forward. I'm helping to make matches with experienced advisors and brand new ones. And so 
we could have 500 mentors who are willing to mentor two new advisors and get everybody covered. And when it's, when it's working, when those connections are made, because really the, the expectations we have of our mentors aren't, you're going to meet once a month and call all the time. And it's not a lot of work, but what it is, is if you send a text, you write an email once a month and let the advisor know that you're there, it really makes a huge difference because there are things that teachers can questions teachers can answer that a rep doesn't have the same understanding of, like the sure. grading issue, how to work with parents and administration. So it's just another level of support for these new people. And I found out I, I mentored two people last year. One of them, I would send them information every month and they often wouldn't get back to me. And, and I thought at first, maybe they didn't like the program or didn't like me or whatever, but it turns out they're so swamped with everything they're doing, they don't necessarily get back to you, but anytime they have a question, you're there and they would contact me just at total random times. Um, and I stepped in and was able to support them and encourage them. So it's just a great idea. And I know JEA has its mentor program too, which is also yes, great. Yes, absolutely. But, but, yep. but we're just trying to be another level of a safety net for these new people who get thrown into doing this job that they're ill-equipped for, don't necessarily want, don't have enough information um, to help make them engage and get them over the hard time and then want to do it year after year after year. And one thing I would say, and this is really all the companies now, and it certainly is your focus with your podcast and the way that you interact with a lot of listservs and, and Facebook groups and things is there is so much great information out there now for the new advisor. There, there, there are a hundred curriculum packages and step-by-step how to get started and just great stuff. And we just need to keep connecting so that these new people will not feel so overwhelmed in, um, in that first year. And my first podcast on your book chat with Jim was really insightful in that I took three different advisors and had them tell me their, their first year story. And the, the experience is universal about, you know, they don't know what they're doing. That first deadline is looming. The old, the old, the editors who are on last year's staff want to do things their way. And you're trying to bring in your approach, but then uh, February comes, they start becoming your staff. The book comes out, you share this, this wonderful product together, and then you're hooked. And so if we can help people get through that and hold their hand through the process, we're more likely to get them to stay for multiple years. And that's really the, the goal of the whole program. So every year we get a little bit better on monitoring and connecting. And so hopefully this year we'll come closer to having all those 1,000 um, new advisors covered and supported. And you and I are both functioning and, and really enjoying uh, functioning in the uh, the podcast space. The <laughs> Wallsworth Yearbook Podcast Network (WYPN) uh, launched um, here in, in mid mid to early July, um, and you and Mike Taylor both have um, uh, podcasts uh, active there. And 
um, just this morning, and I'm not sure when this chat with you will will release. It may be closer to August, but um, yeah. here uh, round about July 19th, um, you released the first part of a two part uh, episode with Sarah Lerner, who is the the incredible advisor at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Do you want to speak just briefly to that conversation? Yeah, um, it it was what an honor and a privilege to be able to hear her story and and give her a forum for telling it when and, and we're all like this but but she is such a gifted educator she cares so much about her school and her kids and then all of a sudden in the middle of all that she was faced with this unthinkable tragedy and we all think about how we might respond if there was something that needed to be covered that was unexpected but sarah did it and she loved and nurtured these broken kids who were grieving over this unbelievable tragedy to finish their yearbook they felt the the responsibility you know we always talk about telling that we're here to tell the story of the year and they grasp the responsibility of that story in the middle of their grief and they told it so beautifully and sarah tells the story of how that happened and i mean it it gives me goosebumps and i'm just so blessed and feel privileged that i got to be a part of telling it so i can't um recommend it strongly enough, but, but let me also go back and say, uh, Mike, to you, you know, you and I have been podcast listeners for years and yep. it's just great to have an opportunity to, um, to tell stories and, and you led the way and you inspired me to get involved with this. Although Walsworth kind of has had it in the process for longer than that. But when the opportunity came up, I, I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing. My Mike's focus is sort of on the nuts and bolts, and you do both of these in yours. Mike's focus is on the nuts and bolts of how to put a yearbook together more effectively. My focus is on the people of yearbook and having them tell their story of how they did it, who they are, um, and they'll be they'll be teaching and training along with it. But I want to lift up the great work that we as advisors do. Nobody knows, nobody cares. Well, hopefully through your podcast and my podcast and the other one from Herf Jones, that people will begin to know the great things that these teachers do every day in the classroom with these amazing kids. It's pretty cool for the, the people that are in the tribe or the network or people who are weeks away from advising their first yearbook ever um, between being a listener here and thank you listeners for that, but you've got your book chat with Jim and ask Mike with Walsworth. You've got mind the gutter with Herf Jones. It's a, it's a, a burgeoning space. There's lots of content out there and, uh, it's all worth the, the listen. Um, you know, Jim, it's, it's been a decade, uh, for, for you and me since there are early times at GYE. And I was just reflecting last night. I, I can remember, um, embarrassingly so, the the theme that my kids cracked at um, GYE 2007, the, the very first time that we attended, the book that was our 2008 book. And, um, you know, it's my, my current kids at Tesserator are, are thankfully 
light years ahead of where we were um, back then. But I've got to say, uh, just thank you for for being part of of my journey and, and frankly, part of my life and being a guide and such a dear and and um, respected uh, and authentic friend uh, over this last decade. Because I I very clearly I would not be the advisor I am today if you were not in my life. So I want to thank you for that. Well, I, I think thank you for that. But it's it's this paying it forward. A lot of people encouraged me. Hopefully, I can encourage you and others. And then, very clearly, you have been a great encouragement to so many with all the insights that you really put out there everywhere. And I do want to say, um, really, in honor of you being the leader of the uh, yearbook podcast movement. Uh, Mike is going to be on a future episode of your book chat with Jim. We've just gotten a little backed up and his probably will be out sometime in August, but you can look forward to Mike being on the other side of the microphone um, very soon. And uh, it was just a wonderful conversation we had about so many different things about what you do successfully, how you lead your kids, how you're working on the national level. Um, and really, what an amazing year you've had in 2018. I mean, you are the, your book, Energizer Bunny in every way. You know, you <laughs> never stop. I, I call Mike Taylor the harding, hardest working man in the yearbook business. You are the Energizer Bunny of yearbook. Uh, I thought I was busy and full of energy. You make me look like a slacker. <laughs> so keep up the good work, but don't burn out, my friend. Yeah, I've got, I've got, uh, I've got <laughs> journeys yet, uh, journeys yet ahead of me. That's right. Well, listen, Jim, I, I wish you all the best with your book chat with Jim and and your ongoing involvement in the mentoring program. Uh, Wallsworth is is very lucky to have you, and uh, I hope those of you uh, who are listening, um, if uh, I can put a plug in to jump back to episode three in the feed for the Yearbook Wise podcast, if you've just recently joined or hadn't uh, heard that episode. Uh, this is actually Jim's second time on the podcast. It was back in episode three that Jim and I talked about uh, the power of taking your kids on the road to conventions. You heard him mention that a while back in this episode. And, uh, you know, coming in on the tail end of July, it is absolutely time to set our sights uh, forward to Chicago uh, and the uh, NHSJC coming to Chicago November, I think it's first through fourth. Um, yeah, I would, I would and, say... Chicago is as good of convention city as you're going to find. So your kids will love it. You'll grow and learn. Don't miss it. Yes, absolutely. And that's again, episode three. Um, Jim, thanks for taking the hour with me today, buddy. You, uh, you take care. All right. All right. Great talking to you, my friend. One of the things that I learned about Jim early on in 2007 at GYE is that he's a people first person. And I hope that you got that coming out of this discussion when he talks about it being people over product, I think that we can get too focused on deadlines and the stress of production or meeting budget and, and all of that is important, certainly. But if we can remember that our kids are people first and that they themselves are in a people-based business uh, in developing great coverage and documenting the story of the year, uh, I think that, that Jim's perspective is, is one that we should, that we should really tune into and, and pay attention to. And to the other big takeaway for me, I had never heard somebody describe it that way before, but when he talked about bringing along the last student on staff just as much as the editors, 
you know, I think that's really crucial. I've been accused before by some of my staff uh, in years past of, of playing favorites or of spending too much time with my editors, and it's something that I try to be keenly conscious of uh, every day in the lab, um, recognizing that I might be the only person in a given day that greets my students by name, and that um, those opportunities to check in and see how their weekend was or what they've been up to or what they're doing this coming weekend, how their parents are, how that test went, how last night's game was, it's, uh, it's important. And those are the, the underpinnings, the foundation of strong relationships that can pay off in spades um, in those mom- moments where it, where it matters most. So again, uh, I'm coming to you from Newark uh, Concourse C, as you just heard in the uh, PA waiting to go down and spend some time with friends uh, at Camp Orlando. Really looking forward to this camp. We've got about 460 kids um, inbound, and uh, I went for the first time last year. It's just a a dynamite camp uh, with a dynamite team. Um, Really, uh, really looking forward to rounding out the season this this way. Um, I've got uh, plans for three more episodes to record uh, in some free time uh, when we can find it down there. So... uh, Hopefully your feed will be pretty busy in August, but uh, for now, I'm just going to leave it there. Friends, be well. Good luck. We'll talk soon.